Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different grape varieties, the different styles of wine, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we're going to continue our focus on sparkling wine, diving deep into champagne. And we're going to look in this episode at the different styles of champagne, but not just the styles, but the reasons for those styles, why champagne tastes like it does, how it's made, and where it comes from. Champagne is located in northeast France, not far from Paris, and this is as far north as grapes will reliably ripen. And even the word reliable is a bit of an exaggeration. Vintage variation is um, common in Champagne, going from years which are extremely good to years that are extremely bad, all depending on the weather. I was there last July, and the uh, weather was miserable. It was cold and wet, just 15 degrees Celsius, but the previous week it had been warm and dry, up to 40 degrees Celsius. So variation is not just from year to year, but it can be from week to week. And so growers and producers really have to monitor their grapes closely, checking how they're doing, checking their healthiness, and how they are ripening to monitor the vintage. This cool climate results in wines with naturally high acidity, which is a key point for Champagne, but with few fruit aromas. These are not fruity, aromatic wines. And so the production of Champagne is important, not just for creating the style, but also the texture of Champagne, the body and the weight, the lazy complexity, because it's not about the fruits and the aromas. And this can make Champagne quite a difficult wine to describe. Even when you're tasting an extremely good Champagne, there's not many fruits and aromas that you're actually going to use. So that's why I'm going to go through how to taste Champagne in a short moment. The soils of Champagne are chalky, and these vineyards are located on the hillside slopes, which rise up from the plains of Champagne. These plains are fertile and are planted to crops and not really suited to uh, grape cultivation. But the hillside slopes soak up the sunshine during the day, and the infertile soils mean that the grapes don't ripen too quickly. These topsoils are thin, made up of decomposed chalk, they're quite light and crumbly, and they reflect the heat, and that's extremely important. These chalk soils are, of course, white, they reflect the heat back onto the vines and aid the ripening of the grapes. The days will be warm, the nights will be cool, so it's a long growing season. And this really helps retain the acidity while getting some uh, body and weight to the wines, though not too, not too much so. So before we go into how champagne is made, let's look at the regulations. The CIVC is the governing body and is extremely important. They oversee everything very strictly. In the past, they were almost dictatorial. They set the prices for the grapes year in, year out. But um, things have liberalised since the 1980s. But still, the CIVC levies taxes on the harvest and the, on the sales, decides when the grapes are harvested, and it manages the contracts between the growers and producers, and also ensures that producers maintain wine in their reserves so that they never run out. Those contracts between growers and producers are extremely important in Champagne. There are over 15,000 growers in the area, that, and they account for 90% of the land owned in Champagne. There are 140 co-ops, which is far more than any other region in France or elsewhere, and there are 300 négociants, or merchants, and these merchants buy grapes from the growers, blend them together, and make the, the wine under their own brand. And there are 20 brands in Champagne which produce 60% of the wine. And these are brands which you'll be very familiar with. Moëté Chandon, Veuve Clicquot, Bollinger, Tattinger, Paul Roger, Bilcar Samon. 
uh, Krug, they're all buying grapes in. They own some land themselves. But there's a very rare um, situation of these huge producers relying on very small growers. And so the relationship between the growers and the negotian is very um, important. And it's often broken down in the past, indeed, um, into riots at times. So the CIVC is very important in maintaining the good relations between the growers and the negotian. And these large amounts of growers are the reason why there are so many co-ops. These co-ops representing the growers, giving them some more clout in the region, more power. Some of these co-ops release wine under their own label. Some of them give the, the wine back to the growers so they can release wine under their own label, even though it's technically not their own. It's been made by the co-op from different growers. So the regulations for the wines. Non-vintage wines must be aged for 12 months on their lees and then another three months in the bottles. And vintage wines must be aged for three years on the lees and then some more time in the bottle before release. So, how is champagne? A quick recap. The base wine will have very high acidity and um, not that many aromas, quite neutral. So that allows the lees complexity to shine on its own. The harvest is generally in September and lasts about 10 days and this is declared by the CIVC so you cannot pick the grapes before the CIVC say that you can do so. Blending. So blending is not just blending different grape varieties, though that is part of it. It's also blending different vineyards, different villages, and different vintages. And this is what distinguishes Champagne from most other wine. And so the different grapes, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Meunier. Chardonnay has the acidity, the elegance, the restraint, almost austere. Pinot Noir has the body and the weight, and Meunier has the fruitiness and the freshness. So in tasting a champagne, the evolu evolution of a bottle of champagne, when it's young, the fresh fruitiness of Meunier will shine through. When it's about four to six years old, the body and weight of Pinot Noir will dominate. And then when it's about ten years old, the acidity and the elegance of, Char of Chardonnay will um, be the star attraction of the, of the bottle. Different vintages are important, and this is where um, the technique of blending needs a lot of care and consideration. And we'll talk about the importance and style of non-vintage champagne in a moment. So we have this base, highly acidic wine, that is then put into a bottle. It'll be a blend of the different vintages, unless it's a vintage wine, different vineyards, etc, etc. That wine is put into the bottle, and then some sugar and yeast is added to the wine. That yeast is a special type of yeast called champagne yeast, which will mean that not too much alcohol will be added in the second fermentation which occurs in the bottle. And um, the base wine will be about 10.5 to 11% alcohol. The wine in the bottle is capped with a crown cap, and the second fermentation begins, increasing alcohol by about 1.5%, so champagne is generally between 12 and 12.5% alcohol. With that second fermentation, carbon dioxide is produced, but that is trapped within the bottle, and that's what produces the, bu the bubbles. Those yeast cells will eventually die once that second fermentation is complete, and they will settle in the bottle with a yeast sediment called the lees, the dead yeast cells. And these lees, in contact with the, the wine in the bottle, very close contact, produce the complex lees aromas. And so the longer the wine is aged in the bottle, the more complex and the more yeasty the wine will be. Once um, that is complete, that aging, the producer is happy to uh, b uh, release the wine, the um, riddling takes place. And this is removing the, those dead yeast cells to the neck of the bottle, either by riddling by hand, which takes about eight weeks, or by machine, which takes just a few days, so much more efficient and uh, cost-effective. And then the yeast sediment in the neck of the bottle is frozen in brine. The crown cap is removed. That um, frozen yeast sediment pops out, 
and then the wine is topped up with more wine which is maybe from the same batch of non-vintage blend or from the same vintage should be the same quality and consistency as the wine in the bottle and then some sugar is also added this is the dosage and how much sugar is added decides how sweet the wine is going to be and then the wine is bottled it rests for a few months before release and then it's in, in, into the market and so that's basically how champagne is made. So how do we taste champagne? As I mentioned, there is, is not an aromatic wine. So there aren't that many aromas to describe. And I think the two key aromas to learn about are apples and lees. And so it's important to learn different types of apples and also different kind of t st uh, states of apple their freshness or their maturity. So think about fresh apples. It's going to be quite unusual in Champagne because it's aged for quite a long time. So we go more into the mature aromas of bruised apple. So think of an apple that's got bruises on it and if you can get hold of an older apple that's been out for a while, smell it and that's what you're going to get in Champagne. Also cooking apples which are different from uh, eating apples. Baked and stewed apples, so apples have actually been cooked. And then thinking about what those cooked apples actually go into. So like apple crumble or apple strudel, toffee apple and creme brulee tart tatin. All these different aromas will be found in Champagne and all connected to apples. And then the lees aromas, you get bread and toast, pastry, dough, brioche, croissant, also biscuits as well. So if you're not familiar with these aromas or how they actually differ from each other, go into a bakery and smell the dough, smell the bread that's freshly baked, go home and toast it, smell a brioche, smell a croissant, and if you're not from the UK and you're not quite sure what a biscuit is, get some McVitie's Digestive Biscuits, they're widely available. So what are the different styles of champagne? Most champagne is non-vintage. And it's easy to dismiss non-vintage as simply being the introductory style of champagne, but it's much more important than that. The skill of blending the different vintages together is a very developed one, and it's quite a complicated one. And what the blender is trying to achieve is a consistency of style, bringing the different years together so that the wine tastes more or less the same every year, every year. And that's important because for most consumers, the first champagne from a producer they will taste is the inex more inexpensive uh, non-vintage champagne. Even then it's going to be at least uh, $30. And if they like that champagne, they will probably go to the more expensive premium styles of champagne. If they like it, they will also return to it and buy it, knowing that it's going to be consistent from year to year. So it's extremely important. And the very best non-vintage champagnes are really exceptional wines and should not be dismissed. Vintage champagne is going to be rarer because it's only made in exceptional years. With climate change and with uh, better vineyard management and and in the winery as well, vintage champagne has become more common and it's been seen on a more regular basis, but it should only be the very best years. Even in those very good years, producers are only allowed to make a certain amount of vintage champagne. 20% must be kept back for uh, for their reserves so that it can be made into non-vintage wine. And that's extremely important. 2002 was one of the great years for champagne and the temptation for a producer would have been to make to sell all their wine. But 2003 was a disaster, and so because they had the backups from an exceptional year like 2002, they could continue to make very good non-vintage wine. That vintage wine, when they make it, should reflect the qualities of the year, whereas a non-vintage is going to be more consistent from year to year, regardless of what that actual year was. Though some producers do blend maybe three years together and try and create a non-vintage, which reflects those three different years. Jacques Asson are an example of that. And also Krug take their non-vintage wine extremely seriously and call it multi-vintage to reflect the fact that it actually 
is a reflection of the different vintages. Then the different uh, styles of Champagne. Brut is the most common. 80% of Champagne is Brut. And Brut means brutal or savage or raw. And this is a wine with low levels of sugar. And so the high acidity is very uh, noticeable. The uh, style of Champagne should always be a balance between acidity and sugar. So you don't notice the acidity too much. You don't notice the sugar too much. Brut is 0 to 12 grams per litre of residual sugar. And so... 12 grams per litre of residual sugar is quite high when you consider that we can detect sugar at 4 grams per litre. But with that high acidity, that sugar will not be particularly noticeable. One of the highest levels of dosage in Champagne is Charles Hizek, a very good wine, Brut Reserve, classic, and that is 10.5 grams per litre of residual sugar. And yet when you taste that wine, you don't really notice the sugar, but it's there. And when writing a tasting note for Champagne, most cases that wine will actually be off dry, so really try and distinguish the acidity and the sugar. Most Brutes will be between 7 and 9 grams per litre of residual sugar, so again in the off dry category. Some wines will be less than that, and these are the extra brutes, and they have to be between 0 and 6 grams per litre of residual sugar. So there may still be some detectable sugar there if you're really looking for it, but it's a much drier style, and the acidity will be much more noticeable. And then there's the extreme wines, ultra brut, or zero dosage, or brut nature, and these will be less than 3 grams per litre of residual sugar. And so these wines will be completely dry, and the acidity will be extremely noticeable, even tart and sharp. And these are for kind of people who are addicted to acidity in their wines, very extreme. And these are very fashionable because over the course of the 20th century, Champagne has got drier and drier. Back in the 19th century, it was sweet. Now, Brut dominates and most wines will be below 12 grams per litre of residual sugar. But there are still uh, sweeter styles. Extra Sec is between 12 to 17 grams per litre of residual sugar. Sec, which literally means dry, is between 17 and 35 grams per litre of residual sugar. So this will be noticeably sweet in a medium dry or even medium sweet style, despite the word sec. And then we have Demi Sec, which is 35 to 50 grams per litre of residual sugar, and this will be a sweet wine. And then 50 grams or more is called Dew, and this is extremely sweet and it's extremely rare as well. Very unlikely to find a do style, but Demisec will be found in the market. Laurent Perrier is perhaps the one you're most likely to see. And then there is Rosé. Rosé is very unusual in Champagne because it's made by adding red wine to the base white wine before putting it in the bottle for the second fermentation. This is illegal elsewhere in Europe, but in Champagne it's allowed, and it's usually 5-7% to of Pinot Noir that is added to the wine to make the rosé. And this is going to be a fruitier style of wine, with red fruits like red apples and red currants and cranberries and strawberries, and extremely high quality in general, with that maintaining that balance between acidity and sugar and having that lazy complexity. Complexity. And then we have Blanc de Blanc and Blanc de Noir. Champagne is of course made by pressing the grapes extremely gently from white and black grapes, so Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Meunier. And the juice that comes out is extremely clear, extracting no colour or tannin from the grapes. Blanc de Blanc means white wine from white grapes, so it's 100% Chardonnay, and these wines will have high acidity, be quite restrained, almost austere, very elegant, whereas Blanc de, Blanc de Noir is white wine made from black grapes, so solely from Pinot Noir or Meunier. Um, these, Blanc de Noir is less common because the fruitiness of these wines doesn't really chime in with the general style of Champagne, whereas Blanc de Blanc is more of an exaggerated style of the austere, restrained style of Champagne that people really like. And then finally, there's the Prestige Cuvée, and this is the Champagne House's top wine. Um, so, for example, Paul Roger makes Sir Winston Churchill, uh, Moët et Chondo make 
Dom Perignon. These are the prestige wines made only in exceptional vintages of exceptional quality and of exceptionally high prices. So that is an overview of the background of Champagne and the different styles. In the next episode, we'll look at the regions of Champagne. So thank you for listening. I'm Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.